Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. Good Wednesday morning, top of the hour. The story that is top of mind for millions of people across the world. In a police trial we probably haven't seen in this country since the days of Rodney King more than a quarter century ago. And a verdict that has no modern precedent. Of course, we're talking about the Derek Chauvin guilty verdict on all charges that he faced yesterday, courtesy of 12 men and women in Indianapolis. The question remains, is this the change that sparks the the systemic change we've all been looking for? We'll have to wait and see. His three other fellow officers still on trial. Minneapolis's mayor is up for re-election this fall. The police department in Minneapolis is down 200 officers. So there are so many issues that we still have to resolve. We'll see what happens moving forward day by day. It's great to have you here on this day. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. Key is in the house. Jay will be back next week. Each hour, we've had a great guest, Mike Tannenbaum, an hour number one, the front office insider, Alyssa Lang from the SEC Network, joined us last hour. And for our final two hours, the Super Bowl champion, Chris Canty. Chris, we asked literally every guest we've had on, Just your initial reaction to the verdict yesterday. Well, it was an emotional day for me, as I'm sure it was for a lot of Americans. And, and you know, and I just waited yesterday with bated breath as we had, you know, we had news that the verdict was about to come down. And the thing that, um, the thing that gets me, Zubin, even though we're celebrating that we do have justice and accountability because Derek Chauvin was convicted on all of the charges, it's just the fact that we did have the video evidence and to, to sit there and have so much anxiety about what the outcome of that trial was going to be. That shows you how little confidence that the black and brown community has in terms of the, you know, the criminal justice system actually working out and we actually being able to realize justice. So I think yesterday was a step in the right direction. But I think it's it's just the beginning in terms of the reform that we need to see with social justice and with our criminal justice system in particular. It's fair to be said, and I echo all your comments, that some of the larger reforms that people have been asking for here over the last year have actually not been implemented. But I think it's important to step back and realize big time change just can't be done in a year. A year seems like a long time, but when you've been fighting for decades, it's the relative time in between. I just also want to mention to your point when George Floyd woke up on Memorial Day, I don't think he ever thought it would be the last day of his life. And when 17-year-old Darnella Frazier took out her phone and hit record, I don't think she thought she was changing the world. It's just an amazing confluence of events that have taken place. The sports world has reacted in kind. We're going to focus in on one particular team, and that would be the Las Vegas Raiders, who put forth a tweet yesterday that simply said these three words, all in capital letters, by the way, I can breathe course playing off as you know several young black men who have been killed at the hands of police with the i can't breathe so we have i can breathe on their twitter feed underneath for 2021 the date of the chauvin verdict mark davis telling espn's paul gutierrez who covers the raiders that he meant no disrespect to george floyd's family and in fact part of the tweet of i can i can breathe was inspired by floyd's brother himself the quote from floyd's brother is quote today we were able to breathe again because justice for George means freedom for all. The Raiders, despite the backlash, are not going to be deleting the tweet. Key, what do you make of this? This has been one particular element of social media that has really rankled many. You know, uh, Zubin, when it first came across uh, to me, I had to, it took me a minute to, to kind of decipher the meaning. Like, what, what are you saying? Like, what are you trying to say, Mark Davis? And then I said to myself, okay, let me give him the benefit of the doubt because he can't be that stupid. 
and he's he, but it was tone deaf at the the timing. Yeah, the timing of it is is not. I I kind of understand what he was saying, but you could have taken the quote from George's brother, from mm-hmm. Floyd's brother, and just use that quote, and you wouldn't even have these issues. Mm-hmm. Or elaborate on. I can't breathe. Elaborate. What do you mean? Tell us more about that. And and he didn't do it. And so, therefore, he got the backlash from it. And that's the problem, Chris, with Twitter. Obviously, it's a platform that has limited functionality. Obviously, he could have said more than what he did. But when you put it out there on Twitter and you leave everything open to interpretation, he can see it one way. Mark Davis sees it another way. Clarity here is your friend. You need to be absolutely clear. Especially coming from somebody in a league that really hasn't been out front with the injustice that was going on. They've been pushed in that direction. Yeah, you know, you kind of been pushed in that direction. So the moment we see that from an NFL owner, like, wait a minute, man, what the hell are you doing? And so that's kind of where the backlash is coming from. Yeah, you just like to see a little more thought, a little more insight from the Raiders organization. Like what they put out there is just tried to play on, you know, the words that we've used to kind of advocate for the type of change that we want to see. And it just felt like it was the wrong chord. It was the wrong tone. And you just wish that they would have followed the lead of some of the other sports organizations around America and what they decided to say. You know, things like what we saw from the New York Mets and saying that, you know, we want to honor the memory of George Floyd by continuing to to fight for reconciliation and healing uh, and and hopes that that will lead to the justice that we all want to see. Like things of that nature. I just felt like with. With the I can breathe, it just it felt wrong when you saw it, and I just I didn't understand why the Raiders organization decided to take it to that place, given the emotional state that most of us were in yesterday. Pittsburgh Penguins, I mean, yeah. you you know they could have used the Pittsburgh, not use it, but something like the Pittsburgh Penguins in their statement that they put out. You I mean, want me to recite just, that you know, statement for you yeah. here? Again, Chris, we talked about this earlier this morning. This is of the four major professional sports leagues. Not like Major League Baseball has been a forebearer in this in any way. But the National Hockey League is probably the fourth of four, at least for the major sports leagues in this country, that has gotten behind social justice. Obviously, they have the fewest percent of African-American players in their sport. Um, they have tried. Hockey is for everyone is their new tagline. Um, but they have tried and in large part People have been disappointed in some of the responses, but the Penguins coming out swinging yesterday to Key's point, maybe the antithesis of what the Raiders did. I know Mark Davis said it was a powerful statement, just didn't come across the way that he wanted to. No ambiguity here at all from the Penguins. Quote, you don't need a jury trial to watch the video and know that George Floyd was murdered. We are engaging with our employees who have experienced racial injustice, and we are redoubling our efforts in the community to fight racism and promote positive social change. We hope today's verdict provides some semblance of healing to the Floyd family yesterday, obviously put out yesterday, shortly after the verdict. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want to hear. That's the, that's the kind of tone that it, it takes in order to convey the right message in terms of where we need to be moving toward. And I think you have to credit these sports teams and you have to credit these athletes for using these platforms to try to continue to you know, push the importance of us doing the work that it's going to take in order to realize the change that we want to see. We should be trying to normalize justice for black and brown Americans. I think that's why so many people had anxiety yesterday as we waited for the verdict to be announced, just because we're not used to being in that position where you actually see that our lives matter in the way of the criminal justice system, actually seeing justice play out the way that it did in such a high-profile case, especially when it comes to law enforcement interactions. So I think that it's important that these athletes, as, long, as well as these sports teams, 
continue to use their power and their influence to continue to push for the change that we all need to see. Yeah, last thing I would just say is it sounds silly when you look at the video to think to yourself that the higher percentage chance, what we got yesterday, guilty, 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 even though anybody that's clear-eyed with common sense looks at that, the odds are that wasn't going to be the verdict yesterday. That's where we are. That's the rub in society at this particular point. You look at that video and say it's as clear as day, but if you asked a lot of legal experts and scholars and people that followed the trial, not to mention precedent, how difficult it is to convict a police officer of any crime, particularly something like this, the odds were you weren't going to get guilty, 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 even though when your two eyes take a look at it, and remember the Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison said, believe your eyes. That was on day one. Despite what you see, look at that video and what does it tell you? To Chris's point, anxiety, also a strong word because people are wondering, is this just in the case of George Floyd because it was brought to light in video or is this the first step to systemic change and nobody sadly nobody knows the answer should that to that should be yes but sadly nobody knows if that's the answer to that question we'll just have to wait and see the other three officers will be on trial here as well we are presented by progressive insurance the home quote explore changing the way you buy home insurance now you can go there get a custom quote save both time and money go to progressive.com the nba's best insider Woj is going to join us here in about 21 minutes the nba probably far ahead of every other league when it comes to recognizing cases of social injustice we'll talk about how the league has really changed in the time Woj has covered it with particular note to that item and from a basketball perspective what in the world is going on with the Brooklyn Nets lethal when healthy but not particularly healthy Woj will be here at the bottom of the hour it is time for a very special edition if you were with us yesterday we started it and we'll continue it with keys real rankings in part spurred on by one member of the Brooklyn Nets So what are we talking about? A couple of days ago, Kevin Durant purposely, or maybe not, depending on your point of view, was asked the best teammates he's ever played with, and he gave five. Now, granted, he's played with a lot of great teammates. Then he had to double back and just remember, oh, wait, I did play with Russell Westbrook, too. I think we know there's a little (laughs) bit of animosity from time to time between those two, but he doubled back and said, yep, Russ is one of them. So it got us thinking. He's, of course, played with the Jets and the Panthers and the Cowboys and the Bucks and USC. Who are his favorite teammates in all of those spots? Yesterday, we hit Gang Green. Today, it's America's team. Key's five favorite teammates with the Dallas Cowboys. Just a quick, friendly reminder, the man sitting six feet to your left was one of your teammates in Dallas. Well, we'll talk about that after I give you my list. Okay. Number five. That doesn't bode well. I, I need, to, I need does, to be on the list. That does not bode I well. I will mention something. I got to be on the list. does not bode well. Well, what I would say at number five, Jason Witten, Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame tied in. I mean, Jay Witten came into the Cowboys organization as just a red cheek guy out of Tennessee. You know, just <laughs> excited to be part of something, and it turned into a Hall of Fame career. It was just fabulous to play with him. I mean, we did a lot of great things, both in the run game and in the passing game, and he was easy to get along with. Number four. Four is Terrence Newman. Terrence Newman, cornerback out of Kansas State, who came to the Cowboys as like a 30-year-old cornerback. T. (laughs) T New was so old because Terrence had stopped playing ball, went to junior college then, Kansas State, and I used to always tease him, man, you're the same age as me, and you're a rookie. And so it was just fun dealing with him, one of the best corners at his time in the NFL when he played with the Cowboys. They certainly got that draft pick right. Number three. Three is Richie Anderson. Richie Anderson 
was my teammate with the New York Jets as well. When Bill Parcells took the job with the Dallas Cowboys, he went out to get a guy who could do it all. He was not just a one-trick pony. He can play tailback position, fullback position, a tight end position. He caught the ball out of the backfield. In fact, when I left the Jets, he was the, the leading receiver as a running back slash fullback for the Jets. I think he caught almost like 100 balls. You know, they, they didn't have me, so they had to throw the ball to somebody. But Richie, <laughs> Richie is always one of my top dogs in terms of playing with. Number two. Number two, another future Hall of Famer in DeMarcus Ware. Canty played along the defensive line with him. Obviously, DeMarcus was a young puppy that they had just drafted out of – what did he go? He was Alabama, Troy State. Troy State in Alabama. And he was just a, you know, a, a skinny outside linebacker to me. He was only about two – I'm about to say 230 at the time. He was about 230 pounds. He wasn't very big at all. And I was like, well, I guess he'll get bigger. Eventually he got bigger. His career turned out to be exactly what we all thought it would be after his rookie season. And he'll be at some point in time going into the Hall of Fame as well. Number one. Number one is Larry Allen. Larry Allen, the the nickname, probably the greatest nickname in all of professional sports, Zubin. Go for it. The Landlord. Because he owned the offensive line. I mean, he just – L.A. L.A.'s from California, and I, I, I knew Larry when he was in college back in L.A. at, at Sonoma State. Larry's a 500-pound bench press dude just, just playing with it, off the chest as we call it. Yeah. Just no warm-up, no nothing. Get underneath it. He didn't say much. He didn't say much at all. He was our pulling guard on one play, and I watched him – basically kill a receiver that was in the way when he went to pull the block to do. He ran <laughs> he ran through both of them. I'm like, L.A. He's like, man, he in the way. He got to get out the way. And he was, God. I watched him in the locker room one time get not, you know, he got mad at one of the teammates. He picked up a trash can and put it on top of the guy's head. It, you don't mess with L.A. Yeah, that's not the guy in the yeah, locker room. Yeah, that's not the guy. You don't want to mess with him. And honorable mention, Vinny Testaverde who was on my team with the New York Jets and then eventually with the Dallas Cowboys. In terms of Canty, I mean. I'm going to have to put my feelings aside on this one, Zoo. You know, I, I, don't, like the fact much, that I, I don't like the fact that I couldn't. Well, rookies are better seen and not heard, yeah, Keith. You You're the guy that told us that. Yeah, How you going to sit there that. and hold that against me that I didn't talk when you told me not to talk? Well, you didn't say nothing. I, what, what am I supposed to say when the veterans like Keyshawn and Larry <laughs> Allen tell you don't talk? Yeah, now Canty was just a puppy coming in from Virginia, trying to find his way, you know, wearing big number 99, by all bit of 6'7 and some change. Just a kid. I think that just goes to show the lack of leadership on the younger Jets teams because he was saying that to the rookies when he was a rookie on the Jets, too. Oh, nobody cares about the Jets, Evan. No one cares about the Jets. Wow, wow. What a funny L.A. story because this is the guy that almost retired me before my NFL career got started. So Bill Parcells wasn't a huge believer in OTAs or minicamp because you couldn't have pads on. So we really didn't get involved until we got the training camp. But the first two-a-day that Bill Parcells had, we had inside run drill, we had nine on seven, we had live goal line, and we had this drill called three spot. And I remember going up against Larry Allen on the first rep of the inside run drill and it was one of those situations. I'm like, I can't believe I got to line up in front of this guy because this is going to be a Hall of Fame player. But he comes up to the line of scrimmage, 
and it does this thing with his arm like a choo-choo train. He's like, oh yeah, whoop, yeah, whoop. yeah. That was, he's like, whoop, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is going on right there? I would later find out that when he did that, that meant they were running the ball behind him, and he was going to clear that area out. And he was basically saying, I'm going to be the locomotive, and I'm going to pull everybody behind me, and it's going right over you, like you're on the tracks right now. And I found that out the hard way. And I remember looking at my defensive line coach and Casey Rogers. I said, if this is what playing in the NFL is going to be like, then I'm not sure I'm the guy for this job. I'm not sure I'm cut out for this league. He came back to me. He said, son, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one you want first? I said, give me the bad news. You got to deal with this for the rest of training camp. I said, okay, coach, what's the good news? It's all downhill from here. You'll <laughs> never have to worry about playing against a guy quite like this for the rest of your career. So like he said, Larry Allen, probably the strongest guy that I've ever played against in the NFL, a 700-pound-plus bench presser, just to give you an idea. Well, he warming but up I mean, with 500 this, pounds. This, this, dude was, this dude was unbelievable, probably the most physically imposing guy that I've ever seen in the National Football League. And wow. athletic and can move. It was, it was crazy, though. What I, I'm telling you, Zubin, you don't – I mean, you, you wouldn't know, but I'm going to try to give it to you. So we're lined up on the right-hand side. We're in a tight bunch formation, and we're running a toss sweep. Larry has to pull from the left side, get around to the right. Our job as receivers is I block the end, somebody blocks, somebody blocks the linebacker scraping over the top, and he's going to kick out whoever's there. He's going to clean it up. And so the receiver didn't do his job. The receiver kicked out, and Larry, with blinders on, just kept going. And I'm telling you, when he hit that dude, he flew by like six, seven yards. And I, I you know, and I got my guy, but I'm looking at everything. And in the end, when I heard it, it sounded like a car crash because oh, yeah. he didn't slow down. He did not slow down for him at all and didn't care. Car crash, locomotive. Anywhere you go, transportation with Larry. Allen. <laughs> By the way, I looked it up. Richie Anderson, eighty-eight balls in two thousand. So wow. that's what I said. Like a, almost a hundred balls. Incredible. Yeah. They had to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, Evan talking that mess about the Jets. They had to throw the ball to somebody. Got to throw the ball to a fullback. A hundred. his favorite play. Dumb pass to Martin. Twenty twenty one. Can you think about it? A, a fullback catching eighty eight balls in twenty twenty one. You never, never see it. Let's get back to the phone lines again. Woj coming up at the bottom of the hour. So much to talk about with the NBA. But the draft is eight days away. Dennis is in Tennessee. You're on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Dennis. How are you? Good morning. Uh, first, respect to Keyshawn. Appreciate um, you. Not a big fan, but I got respect. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> what do you mean you're not a big fan? What the hell I do to you? Hey, I'm a giant fan. Oh, I don't. I will be a giant fan for life. But what does that have to no, do with me? Nothing. Nothing. Because you are Jets. Uh, you play with the Jets. So, yeah. And you play with the Cowboys. But what so, am I supposed to do? I, I don't know. What I, tried to play, to do. I tried to play for the Giants, and the Giants didn't offer what I was looking for. So when I left the building, I didn't come back. That's what well, happens. Like I said, I got respect for you. But speaking of the Giants, um, I think they should trade down and try to get some more picks and address the offense and defensive lines. I mean, Gentleman, to me, is the biggest joke as a GM <laughs> when they picked up uh, Jones. So I figured, you know, if they're going to rebuild, they might as well rebuild an offensive defensive line. 
You got it. All right, Chris. So right now they're at 11. So what do you think about Dennis's points? Well, I think if they're going to address the defensive side of the ball, then they should trade down because the biggest area of need is outside pass rush. They need an edge pass rusher. Kyler Fackrell is not going to be back with the team. And right now the outside linebackers that they have on that squad are combined for two and a half sacks. So they need somebody to be able to put pressure on the passer from the outside. They did re-sign Leonard Williams. That's a step in the right direction, but he's more of an interior guy Mm -hmm. when it comes to obvious passing situations. They need somebody that can put the heat on the quarterback. I don't know that the value is going to be there with the prospects at the 11th pick. So if I was Dave Gettleman, knowing that I only have six draft picks coming into next weekend, I would probably look to see if I could slide back, you know, several picks, still be able to get the guy that I'm targeting, but also acquire some more draft capital. That's exactly what Dennis was saying. Trade down, get more picks, plenty of holes to fill. Draft next Thursday, ESPN Television, and right here on ESPN Radio, Kevin Nagandi, L. Duncan, Mike Tannenbaum, Barb Scott will take you through the draft. On the way, we'll take you through the biggest stories in the NBA, including, seriously, how worried should the Nets be about all of their injury problems as they shoot for their first NBA championship in franchise history. The NBA's best insider with the answer next on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin on ESPN Radio. And this morning, we've bumped the top 10 plays of the month out. So we're on ESPN News right now. History would say they would have to play at least a dozen games together, and that's going to be something that potentially the Nets are facing down as being a little bit challenging. You still need to be able to play at both ends to win ultimately. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's so great to have Chris here this morning because he's talking sports on the radio in New York on our affiliate every morning. So let's talk a little bit about the Nets. Here we go. Is Woe joining us in just a moment? But Chris, help us set the scene. The Nets are 39-19, and 19, 20 games above 500. Haven't been healthy the entire year. You just heard what happened to Durant on Sunday, the latest with Harden. Your quick thoughts, and we'll get to Woj here on what the prognosis is, especially for the beard. Well, the biggest question for the Nets is whether or not they were all going to be healthy. Like, that's the thing that you just don't know whether or not you can trust with this team. But if you have the big three, 
no doubt they have to be the favorite coming out of the Eastern Conference to get to the NBA Finals. There's no question about it. Now, I've said all season long, as long as they've got two of the big three in the first two rounds of the postseason, it's not really going to matter. It doesn't matter who they face in the first round. It's not going to matter who they play in the second round, even if it ends up being the Milwaukee Bucks. If they have Kyrie Irving and they have Kevin Durant or if they have Kyrie Irving and they have James Harden, that will be enough for them to be able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. This team has progressively gotten better throughout the course of the season. Steve Nash has done a great job of being able to manage the lineup with those guys being in and out. And the great thing about what's happened to it, if you could find a silver lining to all of the injuries, is that it's allowed them to get some guys, some minutes, guys that they're going to need, guys that they're going to have to trust once we get to the postseason. That's a great point. Good coaching chops for Steve Nash as well, learning to deal with a little bit of adversity. You know that's going to be there when the competition ratchets up in the playoffs. Woj, as promised, is here. Adrian, right off the top, what can you tell us here about the latest ailment to James Harden? Yeah, he got back on the court uh, yesterday, Zubin, and, um, you know, tried out that hamstring that's caused him to be out, you know, for a few weeks um, and re-aggravated it. And so got an MRI, and you know, the Nets are now going to hold him out you know, probably right up until the playoffs, I'm told. Now, whether that's he's ready to come back with a couple games left in the regular season or a few games left, or he isn't able to start until return until in the playoffs, they're not going to know until we get closer. Uh, but a real setback because the Nets were thought they were getting to a point where they might have their big three back here in the very near future. Durant with that thigh bruise and then uh, Harden coming off of uh, the hamstring. And now, you know, it was back to just Kyrie Irving on the court last night uh, against the Pels. Well, let me ask you this because I have my own theory. What are teams around the league saying in regards to the health and the approach that the Brooklyn Nets are taking with their big three right now? Well, I I think most teams look at what Brooklyn's doing and uh, whether they're contenders or whether they're teams further down the standings and and understand – why they're handling their players this way would all do exactly the same. That's just when you have players the caliber of Kevin Durant, uh, uh, James Harden, you just want them healthy for the postseason, especially what Durant has come off of last year. But I think the teams who are going to compete with Brooklyn, and there's just a few of them uh, in both conferences, but teams typically focus on just trying to get through their conference. The West isn't so concerned about the East right now, but the teams in the East – who are going to compete with the Nets. See, listen, their hope is that, they, listen, they all know there's a talent gap there. They know when healthy, the Nets are the best team. But they hope that, um, you know, kind of the chemistry that those teams have built together, the continuity, the, the, the knowledge of who's going to take big shots and big moments because they've been through that. And then the defensive consistency. I know we always talk about it with the ball and the offensive end, but this is a Nets team that, is, that has not been great defensively, better late in the season than they were early. But, you, you know, you're going to get in those situations uh, in the postseason where you're going to have to get stops, and you don't have a group on the court that has done that together either. I think the hope is uh, for really just a couple of the teams in the East, I think Chris was exactly right, um, the first round, maybe even the second round may not be such a challenge, although it could be based on seeding in the East you're going to have to play really well uh, against a really good team uh, to get out of the East, probably two really good teams. And it is really, we don't have a blueprint in history of a team that literally 
just showed up with its best players in the postseason. And listen, I don't know that we can just assume they're going to be healthy all the time in the playoffs. They haven't been in the regular season. You know, James Harden's been an extremely durable player in his career, but a hamstring injury like this, and it's why they've shut him down again, uh, it lingers. And, and that's certainly a concern for Brooklyn. Describe to, to me, to us, the importance of the seeding toward the end of the season in regards to the play-in tournament. Well, I think the, the Western Conference, I think there's a lot more conversation about play in tournament seating because that's where Steph Curry's playing. And listen, you, I'm not sure you want Steph Curry in a best of seven, but if you do play him in a best of seven, you're going to be a one or two seed in the West. You're going to be superior to uh, the Warriors. But, but what concerns te- are those teams who are in seven and eight in the West and all of a sudden, Steph Curry just comes in and has to shoot you out of two games. That's it. And, and you've seen in the way he's played, uh, especially on this run over the last couple of weeks, you know, it's going to feel a little bit like an NCAA tournament uh, atmosphere. They went through that in the bubble last year, having uh, this play-in tournament. Players have a sense of it. Organizations do. And I think the focus in the West is really more uh, on really the damage Curry could do in that short scenario in knocking a seven or an eight seed out of the postseason. I'm not sure that the Warriors are going. Uh, we'll see if the Warriors can can move up in the standings. You know, But right now, they look like a team destined for that play-in. Woj, last week, Mark Cuban had some criticisms about the play-in tournament overall. Can you tell us how the players have received the play-in tournament the last couple of years? Well, you know, like the players, Mark Cuban voted for it. And uh, he's got more of a direct vote as one of the owners in the league, one of 30, as opposed to one in 450 or 30 or whatever, however many players in a league at once. Uh, This has been a conversation that's gone on uh, for a few years about this play-in. And ultimately, uh, you know, like Chris Paul, who's the head of the Players Association, initially, I remember talking to him uh, several years ago about this, was unclear how he felt about it. Same with a lot of the top players, but ultimately... uh, they got it through. The league wanted it for a couple of reasons. Number one, surprise money. Uh, they saw a format that they could sell um, with television that they could deliver a lot of revenue on over time. Um, and that money is shared you know, essentially 50-50 with the Players Association. And then tanking. The league wanted to curb tanking and keep more teams involved in the playoffs chase, have less teams just bag it. Uh, and and not have a reason to compete. Um, I think with players, a lot of it is typically built around where you are at that moment in the standings. If you're if you're one through six, you don't have to worry about it. But at seven and eight, uh, it is a concern, and you have to go play. And I think the league's feeling was, if you look historically, the seventh and eighth seed they they don't advance in the playoffs. They usually get they usually get knocked out in the first round, especially the eighth seed. And so the feeling is, if you've played the whole season and unfortunately you get knocked out here, well, we, we have a greater good here financially, tanking-wise, um, that we're going to accept over your hurt feelings of having played the regular season, been in what traditionally would have been the playoff round, and then getting knocked out. Indeed. Traditionally, right now, if the schedule was 82 and we were living in a normal world, this would be the first weekend of the NBA playoffs. Instead, we're just under a month away from the play-in tournament, 7-8, 9-10. 
the winners to get seeds seven and eight. Four days to determine seeds seven and eight. That's Woj on the Goodyear Hotline brought to you by Goodyear for the road ahead. Goodyear more driven. On the way, we will head to Minneapolis. We all know what the reaction was there yesterday to the Chauvin trial. But what's it like this morning? Our man on the scene with the latest after Key's got this from Straight Talk Wireless. It's time for some Straight Talk. Sure, saving money feels good, but cutting your wireless bill in half, that feels really good. Like a walk-off home run in the ninth inning good. Okay, maybe not that good, but pretty darn good. With Straight Talk, you can get 25 gigs of high-speed data for 45 bucks a month, up to 50% less than the other guys, plus no contract, all on America's best networks. Why pay a whole lot when you can pay half? Straight Talk Wireless, no contract, no compromise. Justice was done. It's hard to celebrate because it doesn't bring back George Floyd. You know, hopefully this will send a message. You, you just have to do right. We're going to hold you accountable no matter who you are. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus, Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. World awaits out of Minneapolis. There is a verdict that has come in from the Derek Chauvin trial. Derek Chauvin guilty on all three counts in the killing of George Floyd. Today was a good day for African Americans. Is it going to change anything? We're going to hold you accountable no matter who you are. It's a great time to reflect and see how far we've come in the last year. Gives hope and precedence for these type of verdicts to be the norm. I would love for this to be the last time, but it ain't going to be. And so what do we do next? How do we deal with this next? It's a great question there by Michael Wilbon, and there is no answer to the question. Only time will tell. In just a moment, we'll go to Minnesota to talk to our man on the scene about 16 hours after the verdict was rendered guilty, guilty, guilty. Keyshawn J. Will Zubin, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests on the Goodyear Hotline. We'll talk to Demoris Smith of the NFLPA, the executive director. He'll be with us in about, oh, a half hour or so. We'll see what the league's reaction is. He obviously represents a 
multitude of players who have spoken out on this issue. Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson head football coach, who obviously went through some social injustice with his players as well, backing their marches on campus during the summer, and he'll join us coming up. He'll be here in 45 minutes. So anybody that we have on today will talk about it because, Chris, obviously it touches way more than the sports world. No, it does, and it was an emotional day yesterday, but you realize the importance of that day, the gravity of what we were dealing with you know, our, our society was on trial in a manner of speaking. Justice was on trial in a manner of speaking. And so we celebrate the verdict that we got and having Chauvin convicted on all of the charges yesterday. It shows that we do have a level of accountability. And I think those are the beginning steps to having the kind of justice that we want to see for everybody in our country. It's well said. Let's head to Minnesota right now. We check in with Jesse Washington of The Undefeated, which is our ESPN website dedicated to the intersection of race, culture, and sports. You can follow him at Jesse Washington to get his latest dispatches from being on the ground. So, Jesse, the world watched yesterday when the verdict came down. Then they were expecting, depending on what the verdict would be, perhaps a tumultuous evening that didn't turn into that. Now we've woken up. That following morning, it's been 16 hours since the verdict. What's it like right now where you are? Well, it's the first time that it's been quiet since I've been in Minnesota. You know, my hotel is downtown right by the courthouse. So what we're not hearing are chants and protests and helicopters flying by and uh, and all of the, the sounds of tension that had really filled the streets, the sounds of concern, the sounds of fear and anger that had filled the streets up until yesterday's verdict. Uh, Jesse, let me ask you this. What were you feeling as you were sitting waiting on the verdict to come down? Man, Keyshawn, I was afraid, and I wasn't the only one. You know, so many people that I spoke to said uh, that they were fearful that if this verdict did not come back guilty, that the city would get burned down again. And these are folks who I'm talking to who are like pillars of community support like Reverend Williams at Sanctuary Church, like uh, Coach Larry McKenzie at Minneapolis North High School, people who are in the community every day who have been counseling folks to get through, um, who live through the devastation of the riots after these verdicts and the protests and their parishioners and their young people being scared, saying, hey, Coach, I'm scared, man. You know, I'm, I'm 18 years old and I don't know what I could do. So um, there was a lot of fear before the verdict, even though the evidence was so obvious. It's like we had seen that movie before. That's what Coach McKenzie said. We've seen this movie before. We've seen justice denied. And so everybody was really bracing for that. What, what are the next steps that need to happen to keep moving this ball forward to, you know, get on to the police reform? Oh, man, you know, it's a huge job still, but. A lot of times it's just the the psychic energy of what we now know is possible. And folks that I was talking to yesterday compared this to seeing Barack Obama elected as the first black president of the United States. It was that unprecedented. So there's a mental barrier in our minds sometimes about what we can and can't do. So first and foremost, to keep progress moving forward, we just have to hold on to this moment and remember it. We got to remember it when maybe a not guilty verdict comes back in a different case, or we got to remember it when we've taken this step forward, but we get knocked back on our butt by some other development in this long, long quest for racial justice. Specifically, I think we have to address the laws. And there are a lot of laws still that allow police to do certain things that need to be repealed. They need to be overwritten. So we need to keep pressure on our legislatures. We need to vote for the correct people to legally 
remove any possibility of doubt that these things can happen. Jesse, yesterday, Carl Anthony Towns had a tweet after the verdict came down. He said, justice and accountability, things I thought I would never see. There's much more work to be done, but this is an amazing start toward working for the reform this country needs. You being on the scenes in Minneapolis, what are some of the things that athletes in that community have done, and what do they feel like needs to happen now moving forward? Right. A lot of the athletes here are really embedded in the community, and not just from a pro level, but even down to a, a college and a, and a local level. And so the things that they've been doing are meeting with elected officials, um, calling their legislature, uh, supporting financially grassroots groups. You know, I have to mention a group that I had interacted with a lot called the Community United Against Police Brutality. And for the past 20 years, they've been working on behalf of victims of police violence. They got support from from various athletes. And so one of the biggest things that we just as regular citizens can do is make that $20 donation, that $50 donation to the grassroots groups uh, that are that are really doing the work. So, you know, in that sense, a lot of athletes have provided us with an example here in Minneapolis. And it doesn't have to have commas on commas to make a difference in your donation. When you being there in in Minneapolis now, what are the reactions from the overall sports community? The Minnesota Twins, the Timberwolves, the Minnesota Vikings. What, what what's the reaction to those programs? You know, I find it very significant that at a franchise level, that these organizations, you know, are are really speaking up and. It, it takes something because let's not kid ourselves. Not everybody was happy about the verdicts yesterday. Plenty of fans out here may be angry that their favorite team, the, the jersey that they like to wear on game days, put out a statement saying justice for George Floyd. So um, they have been very vocal on social media. They've been in the community. Uh, they've had various themes that are going on, um, you know, other ongoing games. And, Uh, at a franchise level, have really been supportive of justice. And I commend them for that. Now, a lot of folks say, oh, it's belated or, oh, it's just the flavor of the month. And we've seen a lot of corporations in America, you know, come to this conclusion. It's sad that it did take George Floyd's death to get these pro franchises, sports franchises and others to, to do and say the right thing. But at the same time, it is the right thing. So I'm glad that they're doing it. Last thing for you, Jesse. Key and I talked about this earlier this morning. We're speaking to Jesse Washington of The Undefeated. He's boots on the ground. He is there in Minnesota with the eyes of the world watching. Again, you can check out all of his work on theundefeated.com or at Jesse Washington. Um, Key and I just sort of sat back and said to ourselves, you know, as we come upon Memorial Day next month, the day that the incident took place between Chauvin and George Floyd, what a year it's been, whether it's the pandemic social injustice, the election, everything that's just happened to all of us, whether we're intimately involved or not, just being a part of the American populace and watching it going through this day after day after day. What's the last year been like for you and others who have been on this beat far longer uh, than just these trials? We, I apologize. We just have about 30 seconds here. Zubin, I appreciate you asking. It's been tough. It's been quite a journey, and you get numb to it in this business. You guys know you just see these things happen again and again. But when the verdict came down yesterday, I really had to take a moment and collect myself and let those emotions come out personally because we all want to see this justice happen. And so for me, it's been a really tough year, but 
I'm glad that I was able to help move the ball forward with the work that we're doing at the Undefeated. Indeed, and that work continues on an everyday basis. Again, you can check out his work on the Undefeated's website or at Jesse Washington. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your perspective this morning, Jesse. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Take care. Indeed, same to you. And there's nothing like being there, boots on the ground, when something like this is going on. Gives you perspective you can't get anywhere else. Dabo Sweeney, still to come in our final hour. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.